I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 223. Well, before we get started, we just want to tell y'all about a podcast that we've been listening to, and it is Millennial. Now, when you look it up, it's hashtag Millennial, because are you a Millennial if you don't hashtag? But they don't say hashtag Millennial all the time. It's just like how you will find it on your podcast players is hashtag millennial. So millennial, it's like a weekly roundtable of just, you know, people talking about Gen Y experiences, news, politics, pop culture, all the shebang. And the panel digs into why these stories matter and how they affect millennials. Because, you know, me and Carrie talk about it all the time. We did not learn about student loan debt until we had it. And just like voting and all the things that we should have been taught in high school, but weren't. Yeah, they tap into all of that and relationships and life in general, because it's so freaking hard. You know, and it's so interesting, too, because like we didn't learn a lot. And we were just talking about the other day at work that like in school, you're taught there's like a teacher, a doctor, a nurse or a lawyer. Yes. That's like all you're taught in school that there are the jobs and like. There's a job for everything out there. Right. I had no idea what I wanted to be. But with this podcast, they interview millennials that have cool jobs so that you can learn about, you know, there's stuff to do, all kinds of jobs. Right. And the thing about it is if you like me and Carrie calling each other out on our bullshit, they do the same thing on theirs. But they call out companies, politicians, and themselves. And sometimes they literally make a phone call. You can write into the Millennial Confessional so that you can share your stories anonymously because everybody's got secrets. And sometimes you just need to get them off your chest. Like that rogue hair that you get sometimes? On your chest? Yeah, you've never gotten that? By your nipple? That, yeah. That, that's your chest! She needs to listen to Millennial about uh, anatomy, the doctor here. So listen to Millennial today wherever you listen to your podcast or at millennialshow.com. And again, remember, it is hashtag millennial when you're looking at all the things when you're perusing. So hashtag millennial or millennialshow.com. Okay, I have something to confess talking about a confessional. Jesus. (laughs) So it's been like almost two months since my last hookup. I just haven't been in the headspace for it, really. And like, y'all know my skin. It's got a whole saga of its own, all the things. But I've been watching Love Island UK because it's back on. And, you know, here we're like two weeks behind when it finally comes up on Hulu. Mm -hmm. So I've been binging it. And they weren't doing anything. I mean, they it was sexual, but literally they had to take three different people and do three different like sexual positions, like their favorite sex positions. And so one, he like just did doggy, like bent her over. It's like, okay, done. The next, he laid on the ground, put her on top, one. And then the next, he just like picked her up, like normal shit, like nothing, like it wasn't even like a thrust, nothing. And I was like, ooh, ooh, over nothing. I was like, okay, yeah, it's been way too long. If Love Island is doing it for me with like really nothing sexual, your girl's hard up. But I'm not going back on Tinder right now right now jesus okay so the other day my nephew dawson was like hey check your snapchat and i was like i don't even have snapchat anymore and he was like oh well nana just sent you something which is my mom so of course i downloaded snapchat to see what my mom said 
um, and it was literally just a shot from like underneath, and she wrote the word "hi" on it. Oh like she wasn't wait, and so I responded, but I ended up deleting Snapchat again after that. But um, while I was adding it back in on the app, like on the App Store, it was like most popular apps, and I was like, oh, let me just see what that is. Uh, Bumble, Tinder. And Plenty of Fish were all oh, in there. I was like, gosh. Plenty of Fish made the top? Plenty yeah. of felons? Yeah. I did have most of the apps on the top, though. I was like, well. <laughs> Of course you do. Because <laughs> it's games. No, it really wasn't. Some of it was like WhatsApp or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Or What's Up app, as my sister calls it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All Snapchat. It was funny, though, because back when I actually used Snapchat, you know, all these people's stories, it would be like, you could like scroll and scroll. And it was like, all oh, your yeah. friends' stories. There was four. I had four stories. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm not cool in Snapchat anymore. Yeah. Not that I ever was. Oh, gosh. I wasn't ever. Me either. Everyone's Snap score is way higher than mine. What was it? Like, what is it? Because mine was like 9,000. Mine's 9,000. How is yours 9,000 and you like use it? Because I normally just like text and stuff or like share those, pictures. Oh, those don't count? No. Oh. It's only like when you take a picture or video and send it through oh. the app. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I think people are like in like the hundreds of thousands. Yes. And I'm like, oh, okay. Because it's like kids who like take their one eyeball and just send it. <laughs> and they have like a 400 day snap streak. And it's like, <laughs> you literally just took a picture of your eyeball. Like it's nothing. <laughs> well, other than Snapchat, what's going on? You know, just doing the married thing. It's so crazy. I had to fill out some paperwork for work because anyway, and I had to <laughs> fill out like my life insurance stuff. And I put Colby, of course, and it was like husband. I don't know. It was so weird. Yeah. Ooh. And the other day at work, I said so my husband, blah, 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 blah. And like one of my coworkers, Christy from across the room was like, that's so weird. That's the first time I've heard you say that. Oh, yeah. Well, that's old news now, Carrie. You know what is new news? Patreoners. They're new or not so new. We hadn't done it in a couple of weeks. <laughs> I mean, we had other things. We hope that you enjoyed that interview with Brad. Absolutely, because I cannot wait to watch it. Yes. Thank you so much, Hannah J. from Arkansas. (laughs) I wasn't sure, but it's Arkansas. (laughs) Brittany W. from Texas. (laughs) We are not doing so hot today. (laughs) Laura S. from Germany. Jessica W. from Mississippi. Okay, that she knows. (laughs) Mina S. from Wisconsin. Heather C. from California. A. <laughs> <laughs> Why well, just roll with it? Okay. <laughs> They'll never know. They'll never know. <laughs> Everyone, we do. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. We take one week off. <laughs> <laughs> Alexis A. from Missouri. And Chelsea B. from Colorado. (laughs) Thank y'all so much for joining Patreon and patiently waiting for us to get through (laughs) your names. If you want a quasi-decent episode shout-out, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Well, we may have done a couple weeks of weird things, but I'm back to doing my thing and taking recommendations. And this one is from Paige N. She sent us a message on hmm, Patreon, I think. And... Let me know that this is a good story. So here we are. Okay, picture it. July 1976. 
we're getting towards the end of the school year and 14 year old Mike Marshall and one of his friends wanted to have a good time and because see the mom went home and he was like dude let's steal some beers and let's have us a good old time they weren't out for summer yet no <gasps> yeah but see back then though and, and a lot of places still they don't go back to school till after Labor Day yeah we started early august yeah but a lot of the schools around here now are the year-round school so they Mm -hmm. get just like you know whatever however that works so he and his friend steal some beer they're drinking they're having fun doing their thing i don't know whatever you do when you're 14 and you're sneaking alcohol which i don't know know. (laughs) (laughs) which is why to this day i don't like crown royal but i digress so the mom comes home catches them drinking and is like what the hell? Like, what are you doing? And they're, you know, teenage boys and being like, what do you mean? You know, and she's like, you know what? For your punishment, I'm not picking you up from school tomorrow. You're going to have to ride the bus. Oh, okay. Ride the bus. Yeah. Well, the reason why this was such a big deal is, see, he got off school at like noon and the bus ran. Yeah. And the bus ran at like three when the little kids got off. So he was going to have to literally just sit at the school for hours waiting to get on the bus. Okay, but did you clear it with school first? I mean... It's 1976. It's a (laughs) free-for-all. So the next day, he waits and waits, and he ends up taking the last bus because he knew the bus driver, Ed Ray. And so he's like, Ed, bruh, can you just give me a ride home? And he's like, yeah, get on. So he gets on the bus, and like all these kids are like little kids, like five seven i'm sure even maybe some little four-year-olds like little kids so he's by far the oldest kid on the bus so it's really like a punishment for this 14 year old who's kind of in that weird transition from being a kid to wanting to be an adult and now he's on the bus with all these little kids yeah but then you go to the back and be like move out of my seat okay well he's not a bully you're 14 they're they're little is that not normal no it's not move says the girl who never rode the bus i rode the bus when all through my elementary days like what is that kindergarten first to where second and your house yeah were people mean to you did they make you get out of their seats no girl because i had my older brother i got to sit back there with everybody so did you just watch this on like diary of a wimpy kid where you get the scenario where you just make kids move well because all the high schoolers got to sit in the back and like then middle school and stuff that's how that works did you ever ride the bus ma'am uh-huh and all the time where did you sit the back okay i didn't ride it in high school though me either so how you know high schoolers sit back there oh my god <laughs> my kidding. brother <laughs> Lord. <laughs> she said, did you ever ride the bus? I uh, really didn't know you did. Yes. Yes, I did. Okay. Well, picture it. Like I said, it's July in Chowchilla, California. It is hot, right? So mm-hmm. you can just picture the bus driving along. And as they're going, there's a van stopped like on the road. So Ed, the bus driver, slows down because there's literally a van blocking the street. So he slows down and... Once he stops, a guy wearing a nylon stocking over his head and carrying a sawed-off shotgun steps out of the van. Oh, my gosh. Then another guy comes out of the van, goes to the bus, and forces the bus driver to open the door. Both of the gunmen hop onto the bus, and I've seen two things. One thing said that one of the gunmen made Ed get in the back of the bus with the kids, and one of them drove the bus. Another thing said that one of the gunmen like held the gun on the kids and the other one held the gun to ed and forced ed to drive the bus 
Mm-hmm. Which to me makes a little more sense. Yeah, me too. Because you got to know how to drive the bus. Right. Well, there was a third gunman who drove the van. Mm. So either way, no matter who's driving, the bus takes off again. And the van follows them. They drive for quite a while. When all of a sudden the bus kind of veers off of the road onto this like marshy area. Like surrounded by tall bamboo. And it kind of blocked the bus from view. Once they get stopped, they realize that there's another van there waiting. So the gunmen take all of the kids and the bus driver and split them into the two vans. Just pack them in there like cattle and ditch the bus. So in total, there were 26 kids in these vans. Golly. Now, I've seen like 26 a couple times, so I don't know if it's like 26 plus Ed or if Ed's counted in that, but everything I've seen has said like 26 kids. Those kids are in that van for about 11 hours. When they arrive at Livermore, California, and it's a rock quarry, like picture Flintstones. Very hard to say. But picture like Flintstones, Rock Quarry. Okay. Now, this is about 100 miles from Chowchilla. I hope I'm saying that right because I watched some stuff and that's how he said it. So, I hope so. But once they get there, the kidnappers start taking the kids one at a time from the bus and putting them in like an underground bunker. So, there's an episode of this on House of Horrors Kidnapped. Season 2, Episode 7. And on this, Mike Marshall is talking about his experience. Spoiler alert, he survives. So Mike is saying that from the ride to the bunker, all the kids that are in his van are clinging to him because he's the adult in that situation. I'm sure Ed's in the other one and those kids over there are doing the same thing with Ed. But Mike is saying that the kids are peeing themselves because they're so scared. And, you know, 11 hours. Yeah. So, you know, they're just terrified and clinging to him. And as they're taking them out one at a time, he truly believes that he they're taking them out of the van one at a time and killing them. Right. He says that when it was finally his turn, it was him and one little girl that was left in the van. And he just physically could not hand her over to those kidnappers to be handing her over to her death. So he left her in the van and went next. When he got out, the kidnappers asked him his full name, his parents' name, and their phone number, I believe. And he gave it all to them, and they led him down into a underground bunker. And when he starts climbing down, all the kids are there. So he's like, okay, I thought they were dead, but they're all down here. And then not long after that comes that little girl that he thought he would be handing her off to her death so he just couldn't bring himself to do it yeah i just think about the pure chaos though of that many kids being so terrified which is probably why they took them out one at a time so they could control them and them not just running around like on kindergarten cop when he has no control (laughs) of the room yeah Mm -mm. and the smell i thought about that too And that poor, those poor little chafed legs from oh, their wet gosh. pants. You know, you're saying underground bunker, and all I'm picturing is this this person out by my house. He had a school bus that he had buried underground, and that was their like storm shelter. And of course, my mom had seen this being done and stuff, and so he had told our other neighbor, like. Yeah, if anyone wants to come see it, like, they can come. And so my mom was like, 
<laughs> yes, I do. So she went and saw it. I was too scared. <laughs> I don't know why. Like, that's just freaks me out being underground. Um, I know someone that has, um, like two or three, I can't remember, um, like 18 wheeler trailers underground that's like fully stocked with like food and bunk beds and all the things to be a prepper. Yeah. Oh God. I don't know. It's just, but so when you're saying underground bunker, all I'm picturing is an underground school bus though, (laughs) because that's what, I don't know. Cause you had a school bus in, yeah, in this and then underground bunker. That's basically what it was, though. It was like a trailer, just like I said, that I know somebody that has underground with almost like a um, a manhole to crawl down into with via a ladder. So once all the kids were in there, they pulled the ladder up and closed the hole. They put what Mike calls like an iron plate over it. So I'm picturing kind of like a manhole cover, yeah. but I don't know that it was that heavy. That that was secured with truck batteries over it and like a plywood box was placed over top of that. And while they're sitting there waiting to see what happens next, they start hearing thuds. And that's the dirt being placed over the bunker. So these kids and Ed were literally being buried alive. That is beyond terrifying. But inside the bunker, though, there was a little air vent. And there was some water, a little bit of food, and some mattresses, and just like what they're calling like a crude toilet. So So a bucket. Right. So it was almost like they intended to come back. Like, what's this plan here? Like, you're giving us things to survive. So like, what do we do do in here? Yeah. Well, it seems like they want ransom because they were getting their parents' name and number. That's exactly what they wanted. The trio wanted to... The trio's plan was to kidnap a bunch of children. So basically, they wanted to hold these kids to make the school board pay them $5 million. Oh my gosh. Because they were thinking, the more kids we have, the more money we're going to get. $5 million. 1976. But $5 million, that's a lot in today's. It is, especially from a fucking school. Yeah. Have you seen how much teachers get paid? So we later learn that the kidnappers are Frederick N. Woods and brothers James and Richard Schoenfeld. So all of them were like 23, 24-ish, maybe 24, 25. They were young, but not like that young, right? Right. So here's the thing. Also, old Fred, hello, Don't go in business, like criminal business, with two brothers. Right. They're definitely going to stick together and rat you out. Yes. Or not even that, but like uh, kill you and take the money. True that. So these guys all came from pretty fucking wealthy families. Of course. Oh, my gosh. And so basically, these guys had blown all the money that their parents gave them. And their parents were like, we're not giving you any more. Figure it the fuck out. And, well, they spent a year plotting this kidnapping so that they could get $5 million. Oh, my gosh. Like, you have all the privilege in the world. Uh Uh-huh. You come from wealthy families and, like, blown lots of money. Not just, like, little amounts. Like, they've blown, like, cars and, you know, like, lots of money. And their family was like, no, figure this out. Like, we're not just going to keep giving you money. Well, while all this is happening, of course, the family members are freaking out and calling everyone to try to figure out what happened to their kids 
They're calling the school. They're calling police. They're calling everyone. And what happens is everyone's calling so much that the phone lines were jammed and the kidnappers could not get through the phones to ask for the ransom money. (laughs) Now, Mike Marshall says that the whole time, Ed, the bus driver, was freaking out. He was basically like in a corner with his head in his hands saying like, we're going to die. We're, we're going to die. Like, this is it. And so he was really trying to figure out how to get out of this situation alone. Well, while he's like looking around trying to figure out like how the hell to get out of there, literally the roof starts caving in a little bit. Oh my gosh. Like the, the dirt starts falling and Mike realizes, okay, wait, we've got all these box springs, mattresses. Like if I can just get high enough, I can shift that iron plate thing off and climb out of here. In this one article I read, Mike says that he basically like kicked apart this wooden box frame so that he could use the pieces. He would use it to like wedge up that iron plate covering just enough so that he could get his fingers around it to move it out of the way. And in that episode, he talks about like how heavy, like 200 pounds, I think is what he said. I can't remember how much he said, but like he was saying how heavy that plate was. Then he says that he had to move the truck batteries off and then crawled inside that like plywood box. And then using a piece of wood, he dug out that plywood until he created like a hole and the dirt was started falling. He says that he thinks that that took him about six or seven hours to do. Oh my gosh. And of course, when he's digging out of there, he doesn't know. Are the kidnappers just sitting in baseball chairs around up there on the dirt waiting? He doesn't have a clue. He's just trying to get to freedom. Oh my gosh. So once he finally gets through, he doesn't hesitate. He just like pops his head out, looks around and sees that there's like mountains around. He could see trees and there was nobody there. So right after he gets out, Ed starts passing him kids and they're literally like lifting them out of this hole and they all get out and they start taking off. They are running. They don't know where they are. They stayed in the woods for about 30 minutes, but a worker at that quarry saw them and called police. Oh my gosh. So they're in the woods for only about 30 minutes when they finally see helicopters and SWAT and everybody, and that's when they know they're safe. All 27 of them got out alive with no physical injuries, but there is some controversy about how they got out because... There's really just a couple of things that say that Mike is the hero, like I just told you. A lot of other things say it was actually Ed who did all of the work to get them to safety. And Mike's like, no, it wasn't. I'm the one that the FBI interviewed. I'm the one that did all of this. And Ed was scared and was just sitting there doing nothing. There are some kids who back up Mike's story saying Mike was the one that did it. But Ed's the one who got all the praise for this because he was the adult in the situation. And I think he even got an award for like leading the kids to safety. All in all, they were abducted for over 30 hours. Oh my gosh. But police had no idea like what, who did that? What was the motive? Again, they assumed like you did a ransom, but nobody ever asked for it because again, the phone lines were tied up. (laughs) 
But eventually, so remember how I told you that, oh, Fred Woods was involved? He, of course, came under suspicion. Well, I don't know why I said of course, but he came under suspicion pretty quickly because the quarry where they were was owned by his family. Oh, Lord. And he is the only one, like, he had keys. He's the only one that had access to all that. Yeah. And his two friends had both been convicted of theft, like carjacking. And so they were like, it's got to be these people. Like, it's got, it's this, it's got to be his two friends. Like, it's got to be them. So police issued a warrant and searched the Woods estate. And they found one of the guns used in the kidnapping, a draft of the ransom note, but no Freddie and no James and no Richard. Well, eventually Richard turned himself in. This was eight days after the kidnapping. And James was captured after that in California. And then two weeks later, old Freddie Boy was captured in British Columbia. So that $5 million in today's money, well, thank you, Wikipedia, 2021 money, is $23.8 million. Wow. Yeah, I they just didn't understand money either. That was their privilege talking. Like $5 million? Yeah, and James is quoted saying, we needed multiple victims to get multiple millions. And we picked children because children are precious. The state would be willing to pay ransom for them. And they don't fight back. They're vulnerable. They will mind. So they eventually pled guilty to kidnapping for ransom and robbery. But they were like, we're not pleading guilty to inflicting bodily harm because nothing happened to them physically. Mm-hmm. Long story short, they ended up being resentenced, all three of them, and they all got life in prison with the possibility of parole. Are they still in jail? Well, Richard was paroled in 2015, and in 2018, James was paroled. Now, Fred, who, honestly, I have no idea what he went by, but we call him Fred, Freddie Boy, I don't know, I've said like seven names for him. So he was the last one in prison. And some of that was because he wasn't very good in prison. He says, I was 24 years old. Now I fully understand the terror and the trauma that I caused. I take full responsibility for this heinous act. But it's like, this is now when he's like 70. Yeah. And here's the thing too, is like I said, he wasn't good in prison. He had multiple citations for running unauthorized gold mine, a car dealership, and a Christmas tree farm. How the fuck? Ew. There is some stuff that says he kept the school bus, too, because he figured, like, as the notoriety of this uh, kidnapping continued to grow, like, the school bus would increase in value. So it's like, he didn't, it's, it literally was always about the money. Yeah. So they think that he inherited, because remember I told you he was wealthy. They think that he inherited, like, $100 million from his parents. Oh, my god. Yeah, like, he had money. So... They think that that's how he was able to finance, like, all his prison shenanigans. (laughs) He was married three times while he was in prison. Damn. And also purchased a mansion nearby. (laughs) This guy was living his best fucking life in prison. So, I think that's why they took so long to be like, no, bro, we're not going to parole him. Yeah. Like, he's got multiple infractions. Clearly hasn't learned his lesson. He's steadily hustling, trying to make more money up in prison. Like, he's doing the same shit. Yeah. Well, eventually... He did get paroled. 
And he did not get paroled until March of 2022. Damn. This literally just happened. But there were still kids that had been kidnapped that fought against this. You know, some of them were like, I'm 50 years old and I still have PTSD from this incident. Yeah, for sure. This one article I read had some survivor um, quotes from different news outlets. And this one survivor named Jennifer Brown Hyde told Fox News that she said, I'm 50 years old and I can have an anxiety attack over getting in the car with my husband. And another one, Darla Neal, told CNN that she deals with crippling anxiety to the point where she's had to leave work because of it. She says, I tell myself I should be able to shake this off and deal with it, yet here I am, a mess. So all of them are paroled and... One's living in a mansion. Maybe. (laughs) Wow. Well, I'm glad none of them got harmed and no one died. Right. And that's the thing, too, is that it's like... They didn't have to plead guilty to all this other stuff because none of the kids were physically harmed. Meanwhile, though, you kidnapped, you know, four, five, six, seven-year-olds and traumatized them for life. Like, let's not discount the fact that they were, I mean, I know you're not, but I'm saying like the court system, like, let's not discount the amount of trauma that these kids had to face at such a young age and probably, and it sounds like, will and still do for the rest of their lives. Yeah, For sure. But can you imagine how much worse that could be if like your friend died and you're stuck in this underground bunker with their corpse? I know. I was thinking too, because they talked about like how hot it was. And I was like, how did they know like if they're going to run out of air or not? But then I saw one article that said it had a little vent. And I was like, well, thank God, because I'm thinking like, okay, there's 26 people pretend like I know math. Okay, there's this many cubic feet. How much air do they have until they all die? You know? Yeah. Because that could be that could have been bad. Like if they would have not thought of that, Mm -hmm. they could have killed them accidentally. Right. I just wonder, like, what's the true story between Ed and Mike? It's probably a bit of both. I think Mike probably did lead it. But I don't think he could have done all of that on his own getting out. Right. So I think he was like, snap out of it, man. Like, here's a plan. How how are we going to do this? But you're like 13. I don't know what his stature was at 13. 14, but yeah. Oh, 14, but... But he also, like, after he graduated, became, like, a rodeo cowboy and all things. Like, grew up on a farm. So he was very, like, physically fit and Mm -hmm. all. And so, you know, and I think Wikipedia even kind of said, like, it was a tag team. Like, Mike's the one that did the climbing and the pushing and the using the shit to get the thing over. But, like, Ed helped rally everybody and steady stuff you know so yeah i don't know but it just seems kind of like sketch like the team mike is like ed didn't do anything and he got all the you know i don't know i just don't i don't know but it also like some of the stuff seems like mike's not trying to seek the glory but it's also like yes he is seeking the glory by not seeking the glory you know what i mean you're bringing that up you're seeking the glory right you're saying i didn't get credit for this well it doesn't matter everyone's safe Like, he didn't get money for it. Right. He got an award. Well, pin a rose on your nose. I'll give you an award, too. Like, you know. Yeah. But I just think, also, I I don't know who, like, again, I don't know Mike. But I just feel like as a 13-year-old, I would have been like. 14, but yeah. Why do I keep thinking 13? I don't know. Did he just turn 14? Was it just his birthday? (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) This is how a fight between me and Carrie started because he might have just been 14. Mm-hmm. But, um, but like, I feel like he might have been more apt to not think of the kids as much as Ed. 
So, like, if he got out... It's like, okay, here, I'm passing you the yeah, kids. Yeah, passing he's like, you the kids. I'm going to run and get help. And he's like, no, 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 take the kids with you. Keep yeah, going. Like, let's all get out. Because even me, I was like, is he going to go and get help? Or, but, like, duh, that's not... Like, they need, they need to all get out. Because, again, you don't know how much air you have or it's collapsing, how much longer that can withstand all of that, blah, 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 blah. I just think it was a tag team effort. Like tag team back then. <laughs> and they did a good thing by, you know, working together, doing whatever. And I mean, honestly, I I can understand Mike being younger and kind of not getting the... Because Ed would be probably in trouble for stopping. And he could have been... Like, if, if the kids got killed or something, mm-hmm. he could have been held liable for that. So he might have been freaking out being like... What are they going to do to me? Like, yeah. do they think I'm involved? Is this, you know, like, so he's thinking like adult problems too. So like that could have been some of his issues. Meanwhile, Mike is 14 and he could have just been like, we could get out right now. Let's do it. Let's do it. Blah, 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 blah. And, you know, like you have to assess the situation and I don't know. So you just can't go in guns blazing. You got to yeah, make sure everybody's safe. Yeah. Well, before we assess the situation of your story, we got to talk about our friends at Jinx are back. Yes. And let's talk about Poop Baby. Let's talk about Marley and Jax. (laughs) Terrible. But I don't know about Jax, but Marley's poop has been more solid than it's ever been. Because she's always had digestive issues. But I'm telling you, Jinx has, like, been the fix. Well... With Jax having the doggy door, I honestly haven't noticed. Well, I have the window open so I can see Marley <laughs> when I'm working. So it's like I'm a voyeur of her outside activities. That sounds terrible. But she used to be the one who would do an around the world poop. And I know this is gross, but y'all have seen your pets do this when their stomach's upset. And it's like here, a drop, there, a drop, everywhere, a drop, drop. Not hers now. Like, hers is good to go, unless I'm a bad parent and I give her something that I shouldn't. Well, we know that uh, the things that you shouldn't give her is not Jinx, because that shit is good for her. Yes, because it's clean, modern food and treats, and she loves every treat. Those damn treats are where it is at for Jax. Mm-hmm, and they're designed for dogs by pet parents. Look, Jax is literally Pavlov's dog. When I... <laughs> Okay, I don't know how you open a bag with a little (laughs) seal. When I just grab that bag, he sits there and literally drool starts dripping (laughs) on the floor. Because he is so excited about these Jinx treats. He loves them. And the food. It's the food. It's the toppers. It's the treats. It's literally everything. He cannot get enough. Right. And it's because every recipe is crafted with easy-to-digest proteins like organic chicken, 20 plus superfoods like pumpkin, carrots, cranberries, and then the kicker probiotics for added gut health support. Which is probably what's been so great for Marley. Yes. You get a 100% satisfaction guarantee if it's not your dog's new favorite food. You get your money back. That right there, what are you waiting for? And even better is that Jinx, every time you buy from Jinx, they provide a meal for a dog in a shelter with their Give Bark program. So you got to, everybody, stop what you're doing, order you some Jinx. You get 15% off your first two orders online at thinkjinx.com slash creep. That's 
15% off your first two orders online. Two. So go to T-H-I-N-K-J-I-N-X dot com slash creep. Thinkjinx.com slash creep for 15% off your first two orders. Your dog deserves healthier food that they actually want to eat and you can feel good about. All right, I followed suit and I also have a Creepinati recommendation. Brandy L. from Patreon recommended this story, so thank you. This takes place in Georgia in the late 1870s. So it's present-day Surrency, Georgia, but at the time of this story, it was just a farming community about 60 miles southwest of Savannah. But we're talking about the Surrency family, so you can see they're a pretty big deal in their community since it was named after them. Alan Powell Surrency was, in fact, a well-known man around town. He ran the sawmill and the general store. But Alan wasn't the only hard worker in the family. His wife, I've seen her name Wealthy and Wealthia, but on Ancestry.com, it was Wealthy. Her name was literally Wealthy. Yeah. She made sure that the home was always tip-top and all their kids were fed. And again, on Ancestry.com, I saw that they had 11 kids, but in a lot of places, they said eight. So I don't know if those eight were the ones who were living with them in Surrency, you know, but at the time, there were eight children of theirs with them from the ages of three to 21. They lived in a two-story home, and it was considered a farmhouse. They were wealthy, but they were still like country wealthy, you know, like the shabby chicness of it all. They weren't living in like brick and mortar kind of stuff. This was like a wood planked house. So literally Joanna Gaines before Joanna Gaines. Yeah, yeah. The family were well liked and by all accounts considered a normal family. But one night in 1872, everything normal, quote unquote, went out the window. Everyone was waiting for Alan, the dad, to arrive back home from a business trip. Well, right after he got back in the door, shit hit the fan. And maybe not shit, but everything else did. The dishes, or as they called them, the crockery. What? Yeah. Apparently, that's what people called that shit in 1800s. I don't know. Well, that's a crock of shit. (laughs) Right? That's a crock. Maybe that's why we call it a crock pot. Or a crock of shit. Maybe it was bad, like the meal wasn't good. No. You never heard a crock of shit? Yeah. <laughs> you never heard a crock of shit? No, but I'm saying a crock pot. Yeah. Yours doesn't make sense. So with the being a crockery is a dish. Yeah, a dish of shit. It was shit. It's a crock of shit. Looks like a shit meal. Oh. Oh, the meal was shit. Okay, he worked at a sawmill. And so in my head. You were thinking M-I-L-L. No, M-E-A-L. So the meal was shit. I was like, no, 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 not like. The weevils or whatever in the meal. The weevils wobble and they don't fall down. <laughs> Shit. Oh, God. Okay. This story, y'all. Whew. This episode, honestly. <laughs> All right. But the dishes, they seem to have a mind of their own, like on Beauty and the Beast. When you said dishes, in my head I said, don't believe me, ask the dishes. They can <laughs> sing. They can dance. And you're wearing a, uh, I mean, it's not Mickey Mouse, but it's a uh, the castle. Yeah. I don't know what shirt it is. That's hilarious that we both thought Beauty and the Beast. Yes. So some of their glass tumblers slid around on the countertop and they had to be stopped before they slid off and shattered. 
but some of the dishes were not caught as I dropped to the floor and they broke. Now, also, the books began to fall off the bookshelf. So it sounds like it could have been an earthquake, but no earthquake happened and they were the only ones to experience anything like this. So yeah, it's weird as fuck, but what if it's just a fluke or like they just had massive amount of condensation? I don't know, but we all know it wasn't because the Surrency family began being tormented day and night. They would hear disembodied voices and almost jump out of their skin when they would hear their windows and doors slam shut or be yanked open right in front of them for seemingly no reason. The disembodied voices became louder and louder, and at night they would turn into wails and moans, almost screams. And then they would hear someone walking down the hall just outside their bedrooms, and they'd hear the loud, like, thump, thump thump of heavy boots, but every time someone checked, no one was there. Another thing, around nighttime, the kids would see red eyes on their property along the woods and stuff, so they refused to leave the house at nightfall. And others said that they saw red eyes peering in through the windows like something evil was watching them throughout the night. And that's when all the activity was at its worst. And this activity wreaked havoc on the family. And really, all the family members were attacked in some way. A lot of times at dinner, their food would be tumped over into their laps, or their forks would be twisted, like the little times on their forks would be like twisted. And we all know, we all know that that sucks. Like when you get it at a restaurant and one's just like bent down slightly. Yeah. It's like, oh, the worst. So it's just like little annoyances like that. Or, you know, your food being tumped over in your lap. Also, I love that you say tumped because when I lived in Houston, one of my coworkers would say tumped and everybody made fun of her because they're like, what the fuck is tumped? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, we're in Texas. How do y'all not know what tumped is? Right? Other times it was worse and the unseen hands would fling their drinks like milk, water, tea, or even like when they had hot soup in their face. And so with the hot items, it would scald them, but luckily no one received burns from this. Things would seemingly appear out of thin air and then just fall to the floor. And we've heard this before on different poltergeist activity stuff where it's like some random thing would just like materialize by the ceiling and then just fall to the floor. Well, like one Friday evening, they were all in the front room of the house and sticks of wood materialized out of nowhere and would fall to the ground. All the windows and doors were shut. So there's no way someone was like outside just like throwing these sticks in. No, everything was shut. And it really was like they would materialize in the air and then just fall to the ground. Well, soon after dark, the sticks stopped appearing. But then they were soon replaced by brick bats, which I think are just bricks. And they would fall in all the rooms of the house throughout the night. So no one got any sleep because they couldn't chance a brick falling on their freaking head while they're asleep. Soon the bricks did stop, but they didn't get any rest because vases and other glassware began jumping from their places in the kitchen and landing on the floor. At this time, Alan directed one of his servants to take four bottles that had kerosene in them outside because they were glass and he's seeing all this chaos and he's like, oh God, not those. Well, the man did. And right when he had put the fourth one down on the ground outside, one flew back inside and splattered on the floor, getting oil everywhere. 
Oops. Luckily, no fire started. But could you imagine? It calmed down finally when the day was high upon them. So like noon. But when night fell, the chaos started back up. Well, thank you, fucking Shakespeare. The high upon them. I would have never <laughs> known what the fuck that was. I don't know. Did you just make that up? You don't know that it's actually... I have no idea. High noon? That I was don't... a really good guess, though, because I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> I said the afternoon was high upon them. I know, that's what I'm saying. Like, oh. I would have never known that's what that was. Oh. I mean, I wrote it. <laughs> that's just what I'm assuming. Oh, it wasn't like... So you didn't read that somewhere when that afternoon was high upon them? No, I wrote that. What the fuck does that mean? Okay, you thinking... Oh, so Jesus. I'm just... It could all be wrong. Meanwhile, it was midnight. No, I know that it said it was in the afternoon. But I'm just saying... I was trying to be flowery. Wow. I was trying to be descriptive. That is a difference in our personalities. <laughs> but... Now they had other witnesses because their neighbors had heard some of the commotion and whatnot. And they saw books and pictures and cups being tossed around into the floor by these unseen hands. Then there was even shoes and even a chair. There was this one time that some wild hogs appeared in the living room. And they again had some of their friends over. And everyone's like, where did they come from? And they just seemed to materialize out of thin air. Hogs? Yes, wild hogs. So they kind of rooted around a little bit, like not, they didn't destroy anything, just kind of meandered to another room. And when they tried to find them, the hogs were gone. Now people were saying that these spirits were evil for sure, because pigs or hogs were signs of Satan. Okay. You know, it's got to go there. At one point, there was a reporter there, Mr. Linden's Truth, Linden's Truth, something like that. And he was seeing this wild show happen, but his focus turned to the old family clock that they had because they said that it struck 13 times. So instead of like at noon where it would like ding dong 12 times, it would just any time just do that sound 13 times. You mean when the afternoon was upon them? <laughs> You're welcome. And it's height upon them. But Excuse me. Go ahead. I, did, I didn't mean to diminish the height of their <laughs> afternoon. It was when the heat... <laughs> just never mind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, he saw the hands were rapidly moving in circles on this clock. And he's like, mm, that's not right. So he stopped the clock and examined it, but couldn't find any cause for this. Now, there was a theory that there might have been a large magnet under the house, like they were doing it all themselves. But um, there was wood and other material that was going on. So like it had to be like a specialized magnet, I feel like. And also the man who inspected the clock had a pocket watch and it was running just dandy. So this is kind of debunked. Another thing that happened with the reporter, he was just sitting there and it was like at noon. I'll just say that. And, you know, most of the activity was at night. So his guard was lowered, but a pair of scissors flew off a nearby table to the floor. So he was like, the fuck? But before he could get a closer look at the scissors, a brick fell from the air and it landed beside him. Well, when it landed, it broke into two large pieces. So he immediately picked it up, like picked one of the pieces up, but he was like, ow, it's hot. So he was like, okay, how is this hot? It materialized out of thin air, 
I'm going to do some tests with it. So he wanted to try to see how like easy it was to break. Well, it took him three tries until he gave up because he couldn't break it. But he put his piece on the windowsill so he could take it home, study it more later. But by the time he had sat back down in his seat, that piece flew off the windowsill and fell at his feet. And this time it broke into two more pieces. But he decided against picking it up again and fooling with it. But he's like, holy shit, like I am throwing this, like chunking this out the floor and it's not breaking for me. And then like by some force, it's just popping off in two. At dinner the following day, an ear of corn just appeared floating near the ceiling and then fell when someone saw it. It fell so hard that some of the kernels came off the cob and scattered around the floor. And then later, another ear of corn fell in another room And it was close to a lady who was visiting to witness the haunting, but she had a baby in her arms and luckily it didn't hit them. But I want to quote Sweet Home Alabama and be like, who brings a baby to a haunted house? Well, they said Barbie. Yeah. Oh my. (laughs) Somebody come get her. Somebody come get her. Oh Lord. You said it. Well, obviously, word had gotten out more and more, and people were coming from all over, like even from Canada, and this is in Georgia, to see all this chaos. Because the thing is, this thing wasn't shy at all. So they ended up running an extra train in Serency, and it had like 75 people on board. So they were like cha-ching on the tourist money around town. They were running a train. Donna. Well, I told you I was hard up, okay? In total on Sunday, a little over 350 people were there and had visited the house. But haven't noted that they never asked for money or anything from people who were visiting the house. And they even fed them usually. So it wasn't like they were making money from the house. But, you know, he did own the general store. So just saying. Right. But how is he to know that this would have such a far reach? So it's not like he started this out being like, ha, ha, ha. People will come from all around for this. Like, no. And so if he wasn't charging them from the get-go, why would... Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just feel like that's a far-fetch. Yeah. Like, being like, oh, he did it because he owns a general store and he's going to reap all the benefits. One medium who visited the house said that they felt like the Surrency family were all very sensitive to spirit. And because they didn't utilize these gifts of theirs, the spirits were trying to get their attention and force them to communicate. I was like, talk about a temper tantrum. Like, good Lord. But no one really, they were like, I just really don't think we're sensitive to spirit, but okay. But then the spirit became very aggressive. It started to target their youngest daughter, Clementine. Her hair would get pulled, and when she was sleeping in bed, her sheets would twist around her and hold her in tight and stuff. But, like, trying to, like, squeeze her to death. Like, that kind of, like, twist, you know? Poor little Clemmy. (laughs) On other occasions, she had been pulled out of bed from unseen hands. One time they said that it flipped the bed on its side, and so she, like, fell to the ground that way. And so the family decided, all right, now it's getting aggressive. Like, it's just been weird, and we can deal with this, but whoa. Like, it's getting aggressive, and also, we might be, like, on the wealthier side of things. Maybe not Fred's family wealthy, but wealthy nonetheless. Um, We can't keep 
doing all this glass and stuff like all the time it's breaking all this from the bricks and all the things like their house was in chaos well when they made their decision it was like the spirit knew and it was pissed off at them so it used a poker from the fireplace and chunked it at one of the boys robert and another his brother samuel saw this and like it like attacked robert several times like boink, 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 but like hard. And then it just floated back down to the fireplace. Like no, like, oh, that's like it washing its hands, you know, but Robert was bleeding and crying. And Samuel was like, I just saw this happen. Like he is not telling a lie. Like this literally just happened. So they did move away. And all I could find is that that house was abandoned, but they did seem to have some energy that followed them to the next house, but not as like chaotic as the old one. But when Alan Serency passed away in 1877, the haunting finally seemed to stop. Then in 1925, the Serency house burned down. Now, this caused people in town to talk because there had been rumors, remember, with the whole pigs and everything and like Satan, Satan, I don't know why I said it like that, but like Satan and all that. So they started saying that Alan was into dark magic and stuff and they were like, that's how he became wealthy and that's how they got all that they had and all the things. And so he had done some bad stuff in order to achieve his status in the community, hence the haunting then. And then they doubled down on this because it stopped when he died. So it was like the evilness had gotten their man and the debt was paid. But even though it's gone, there's still some strange things going on in the city of Surrency. It's called the Surrency Spook Light. And it's a yellow ball of light that seemingly hovers over the train tracks. And They're pretty close to the old house, but this light or spook light has been witnessed by several people, and I believe Clementine saw it at one time too. Herschel Tillman was one of the witnesses to the events at the Serency house, and he is quoted as saying, that place was possessed by something evil. It had a lot of poltergeisty activity, but it was like it was kind of centered on Clementine, But it seemed to like really affect everyone. But then why did it stop when Alan died? So then true crime brain too. I'm like, did he do something to Clementine? And that like she had anger towards him or something. And then when he died, like she felt like she didn't have that anger. I don't know. Hmm. That's alleged. Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure, for (laughs) sure, for sure. I don't know why I said 18 times, but for sure. (laughs) For sure. But what do you think? I mean, I guess it sounds like a poltergeist. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't know. Man, Carrie's commentary is A+. plus. Well, I, <laughs> you know I'm like on the non-believer side, so I'm like, I guess it's a poltergeist. I don't really know. I don't really know. Are poltergeists even real? I think so. But like also three episodes ago, I would have said yes. So, you know me, I'm fickle. Yeah, you are. I'm fickle like a pickle. Girl, don't even say pickle because I have been craving a pickle. Like a pickle and an actual pickle. Okay, gross. (laughs) But I want the good kind of pickles. And Walmart don't have them. Sam's. Why don't go out to Sam's? Well, you got my card. Why don't go all the way out there? Yes, do be expensive. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a good question. Tell us how much gas is in your neck of the woods. But, like, don't make it political. Don't be like it's all Biden's fault, all Trump's fault. We ain't doing that. 
No, I just want to know. I know, I'm just saying, but, like, if you post it, like, don't make it political. No politics. Okay. Mama Carrie said, don't make it political, but just tell us the gas prices. Exactly. What do you think it is? Did you really say? Yes. What'd you say? I forgot. A poltergeist. Oh, yeah. I forgot. Oh, my gosh. How is she married and I'm not? Uh, Because lack of memory impacts my ability to be loved. Uh, Because you just don't pay attention. But he did have all that money in that town invested. And he was making bukus of money when they ran a train into town. (laughs) I mean, was he playing a long game? I don't know, because why would it have, like, continued? But, like, don't poltergeists usually just, like, stay in the house? Do they really follow you like that? It can, especially if it is centered around... Like, one person? Yeah. Again, she has no memory of any other story. I think I'm doing pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. What were the three names of your people? Fred, um, James, and Richard. Oh! Sucka. I thought you were going to ask me names from your thing, and I was like, all I got is Clementine. <laughs> yeah, I knew you wouldn't know mine. <laughs> 100% knew you wouldn't know mine. <laughs> I knew Clementine. Well, y'all let us know what you think about her story. Were they playing a long game? Was it a poltergeist? What the hell was it? And let us know what you think about uh, old boys getting paroled. Mm. But thank y'all so much for listening and supporting us. And thank y'all so very much for all the love I've gotten on Facebook and messages and cards in the mail and everything thank y'all so so much for all the love through these past couple weeks that have been amazing and awful all at the same time but more importantly remember creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared